Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. So one of the themes of Advent uh, historically has been this theme of joy. Uh, You know, when Jesus was born, the shepherds found Jesus after uh, the angel said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And I wanted us to draw a line from there to this other passage we're looking at tonight in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, where Jesus is talking about his departure from earth and his coming again one day. And that's the Advent moment we find ourselves in, waiting for that coming. And as we wait, Jesus wants us to be filled with joy. So with that, uh, let's, uh, let's read this. I'll read it for us. Uh, this is from John chapter 16. Jesus went on to say, uh, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while? You will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. All right, so... Uh, Americans are looking for joy. We're looking uh, for happiness. Um, the phrase, how to be happy, if you Google it, you will get over 2 billion views, okay? Two, 2 billion entries, 2 billion results. Uh, you can take a happiness quiz uh, online if you want. There's plenty of those. Um, Time Magazine said recently, uh, out of a study they did, that o- only one-third of Americans can describe themselves as very happy. Um, The self-improvement industry is a $10 billion a year industry. There are uh, 5,000-plus motivational speakers uh, in the U.S. And uh, I found this one character that was really interesting to me. Her name is Amma. Uh, She is uh, a a Hindu saint from India, and she is world-renowned. She is called, some of you might have heard of her, she is called the Hugging Saint, the Hugging Saint. So um, what she does is she gives, you guessed it, hugs of happiness. And you might think, uh, you know, really people go to a strange woman they've never met to get a hug? And to date, 
Over 33 million people have gone to Amma to get a hug. Tonight, I'm not here to give you a hug, okay? Uh, we, we just met. That would be weird. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, but together, we're going to look at the particular quality of joy that Jesus offers us. So what I wanted to do first is talk about the aim of joy, joy's aim. And to get there, verse 22 of what we read, I'll read it again, says this. So with you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. It's not you might rejoice, but you will rejoice. And this is, this is key because what it tells us is that the the, the idea of joy is essential to the Christian life. And the point is this, God is after your joy. You know that? He is after your joy. Uh, theologians categorize joy as a communicable attribute of God. Now, what does that mean? Think of it this way. Um, COVID-19 is a communicable disease. So if you have it, you can pass it on to somebody else. Um, if you're near someone, spending time with someone else, you can pass it to them. Um, God has communicable attributes. He has, he has some attributes that are not communicable, that don't pass on to you. For instance, God is omniscient. You don't get any of that. God is omnipotent. You don't get any of that. He is transcendent. You're not. But there are certain of his attributes that he has that you can have as well. Those are the communicable attributes of God, and joy is one of them. And here's the idea. Joy is something that if we get close to God, his joy that he possesses passes on to you, and you can have it. Um, because joy is something God has. I mean, how many of us have a picture of God, or maybe grew up with a picture of God in our mind as uh, someone who is being far away, a being transcendent, maybe like a, like a cosmic cop in the sky. Um, God, on the other hand, is a God of joy. This is how the Bible describes him. Proverbs 8 tells us about creation, and what it says is, um, we're told there, God says, every day I, God, was creating. I was delighting in mankind, and I was filled with delight every day. You know what the word delight there means? In the Hebrew, it means to frolic. It means to jump up and down, to, to clap your hands. When the world was made, God was not apathetic about it. Uh, he was ecstatic. He was filled with joy. He was filled with dancing and delight. And then you draw a line from there to the New Testament, and you find this man, Jesus Christ, his first miracle I mean, if, if you're God in the flesh, which is the claim of, of Christmas, and you're going to do a first miracle, I mean, let's raise someone from the dead right away, right? Um, let's heal a leper. Let's uh, feed the poor. No, what does Jesus do? The first miracle. He goes to a party. The party is a bust. The booze cart is empty. And Jesus sees this as a big problem. And he fulfills the demand Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus, his first miracle was to save the party, to restore joy to a wedding. 
Restoring joy is the first thing he does. One of his favorite stories was a parable, a story of a prodigal son. The prodigal son, is uh, he kind of messed things up. He screwed things up with his life. He squanders everything. He essentially said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Dad says, fine, I'll give it to you. And the son goes off, squanders all of the money, and finds himself in, in, in pig slop. And he comes to his senses and goes, why am I... Why am I here? I mean, my father had all of this, this great stuff. I left the house. And, uh, and so he starts walking back to the father. He comes to his senses, and he's rehearsing his woe is me speech. But as he does, it's as if, as Jesus tells the parable, the son can hear the music in the background, you know, can hear the grill sizzling. He can't even get out his his pathetic attempt at repentance to the father because the father says, son, son, you were away from me. Now you're with me. I have a party prepared for you. This is, this is the heart of God. Restoring joy is intrinsic to what Jesus came to do. And, you know, a lot of people don't, don't think that. A lot of people think um, that Christianity is anti-joy, you know, Christianity is a bust, it's a drag, it makes people uptight, it makes people uh, guilt-ridden, and a lot of people in our society, and maybe you've been there, want to get free from the guilt-inducing influence of Christianity on us, from that influence that says, uh, you want to be a Christian? Clean up your act. Go to church, start praying, pass out bulletins at church, Tear down chairs afterwards. You know, volunteer there. Listen, it's not too exciting. I get it. But it's the price we all pay to avoid eternal damnation, right? This idea that, 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 that God is after causing us, us harm. No, God is, is after our joy. He's after our joy. That's why he came into the world. Uh, remember what the word gospel means. If, if you haven't heard it before, it's this word that means good news, which means this. If you're a Christian and you already, uh, because you have the gospel, you're a Christian, this means that you already have this joy. You already have it, which means if you are lacking joy in your life, you are actively doing something to stifle it because it's already yours. The prayer isn't so much, God, give me more joy. It's what in the world am I doing to stifle this thing that is in the center of my soul or I wouldn't even be a Christian? This is the aim of God in our lives. He is, he is out for your joy, okay? So that's the aim of joy. But let's look at the second idea of what robs us of joy. What robs us of joy? Verse 22 says, so with you, Jesus says, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. You will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. I love that. No one will take it away. This means joy is permanent and this means joy is deep. This means joy is not circumstantial. And um, think about that. It's not circumstantial. Here are the tells in our life, that we're building something on a circumstantial joy. And, and the first one I'll mention is um, you complain a lot. There's one of the tells in your life, in my life, that uh, my joy is built on circumstances. 
is you complain a lot. Um, here's a fun uh, thought experiment. Consider this. Um, consider there are several ways to be miserable. So I'm going to give you several ways to be miserable, okay? Uh, number one is uh, count your troubles, okay? You want to be miserable, start there, count your troubles. Um, don't just stop there, though. Name your troubles one by one. Uh, start early in the morning counting them at the breakfast table, uh, and then go from there. Try using social media, using Facebook, Instagram to follow people who are more successful than you, better looking than you. Uh, go from there and utilize, um, go to Amazon and utilize Amazon to keep your material cravings alive. Um, get it, make sure you get a credit card to keep it up because if you don't have enough money for the material cravings, just charge it, right? Um, try this. Um, blame other people. Blame other people. Try this. Pity yourself. Because if you don't pity yourself, I mean, who in the world is going to pity you, right? Nobody else will. Complain about something every day, and I promise you, I promise you, you will be miserable. Okay? Um, have I helped with that? <laughs> I mean, the reality is we don't need a lot of help in this department, do we? Yeah, maybe you hate your job, you hate where you live, uh, who you live with, you don't like the president, you don't like the former president, you don't like the, in the injustice you've experienced, you're not appreciated, you feel small, and there's something inside of you that says, why shouldn't I complain about these things? I'm not getting what I want. Now, that's obvious. The external complaints, those are obvious tells that our joy is rooted in something circumstantial. But go a little bit deeper outside of complaining. What are some other tells? Maybe your interior life is chaotic, is very fragile, very frenetic. Um, this is you have waves of bitterness, um, constant kind of low-grade fear, guilt, anxiety, insecurity. Diagnose... Um, this, and to do it properly, you, you have to ask the question, what do you really think is going to give you joy? What do you think will bring you joy? What is that place that you go to to secretly build your happiness? That place, that thing that captures your imagination, that place you go to uh, to maybe make deposits all the time only to, only to find out it's actually making withdrawals of you constantly. Uh, it's when you get something you want, it feels good until it doesn't. Uh, if your joy is your career, for instance, and you get a promotion, you, you feel blessed, and, and that, that happiness, it works for a while, but then it doesn't because you find there's another ladder you have to climb. The anxiety doesn't go away. Now you have a new competition, and the peers around you are different now, and they're making you feel insecure. You find there's no joy there. Or you're a parent, and you try to make your true ultimate joy your children. And the anxiety doesn't go away about that either. The existential chaos you feel when your children deeply disappoint you or don't give back the love the same way that you're giving them love. Or, or it's the chaos they feel around you 
having to walk on eggshells around you, maybe constantly feeling crushed under the weight of unrealistic expectations, all because they know you have all of your eggs in their basket. That's real. There's no joy there. Definitely not for them. If you find yourself routinely uh, restless, anxious within, you feel like you're on an emotional or a spiritual roller coaster, or that you're causing loved ones around you or very good friends to kind of feel that way around you, consider that there's some counterfeit joy in your life and that what you really long for is the real thing. So what is the real thing? We've looked at kind of, you know, the off-ramps of joy, um, how joy gets blocked in our life. But what is the real thing? Well, we're told in the passage uh, what it is. Here's the definition, the, net, the definition of joy. Real joy is a permanent condition. Remember, now is your time of grief, but, you, but I will see you again. You will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. What Jesus is saying is if your joy is grounded in me, then circumstances are not the things that give you the greatest security, the greatest identity, and the greatest joy. Everything else changes in your life. He changes, she does, the stock market does, your kids do. People and things are going to take away your joy all the time. But if you can figure out, Jesus says, in essence, how to get your joy from me, then nobody can take that away because nobody can take me away. Real joy is a permanent condition. And here's how you know it's the real thing. It runs concurrently with turmoil, with suffering. Of course, anybody can be joyous when things are going well. And anybody can be joyous after great difficulty has proven itself to grow your character. You look back and you go, I can see how I went through that. I was definitely a wreck back then. But I could see how God used it. Maybe you find great joy after the fact. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, Real joy doesn't come after the difficulty. Real joy you find in the midst of it. So here's how Jesus gets at this. He uses the metaphor of a woman giving birth. And in John's gospel, he said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, I have watched this happen with my wife. Uh, We have two boys, so she's given birth twice, and uh, I know the pain, secondhand. Secondhand, let me make sure I say that loud and clear in case this is recorded and gets circulated back to my wife. I know the pain only secondhand. I know through observing uh, that it is painful, that there is suffering, and that there is anguish. But I also know, secondhand, uh, something else. I know um, that when the child is born, as Jesus says here, the woman forgets her suffering because of the joy of seeing the child in her arms. See, and I know that, at least for my wife, I mean, it's very clear the pain wasn't over. There was recovery. There was more suffering. But the joy will make you forget your pain, but it doesn't mean the pain is gone. 
Why is that? What is happening in that moment? Here's what's happening. Two things are happening at the same time, but the joy is overwhelming the pain. That's what Christianity holds out for us. It's like that passage that says, God remembers our sins no more. You know, there's a verse that says that, God remembers our sins no more. That doesn't mean that he's not aware of your sins. That's not it. He's aware of the sin, but the sin doesn't control the way he reacts to me. He doesn't focus on it. It hasn't captured his heart. Something else has. Love has. You know what Christianity can do for your life? It can give you a deep internal rest at the worst moment of your life. It can give you that rest when the rejection letter comes in the mail, uh, when the boyfriend breaks up with you, when uh, your best client moves on to a competitor, um, when you lose your job because of layoffs or maybe because of poor work performance, when you fall on your face in failure, when you lose your reputation because you made a huge mistake that you regret, when the test uh, results come back positive, internal, deep rest at the worst moment. This is what John wants us to take hold of. This is what Jesus wants us to take hold of. And this is the meaning of verse 22. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. It is a non-temporary, non-circumstantial, permanent condition, and if you want it, you can have it. This is the good news of Christmas. Jesus came into the world so you could have this joy. So I wanted to kind of conclude with this last idea of how do we cultivate joy? Well, in a very real sense, Christian joy is like every other kind of joy you have in your life. Think about it. You rejoice in that which you find beautiful. You find something to be beautiful, um, and it doesn't give you something else in order for to achieve that in your life. It's a thing that is satisfying in and of itself, just for what it is. Many of you might even travel uh, over the holidays, and you might go to a beautiful place. Maybe some of you are going to go up to the mountains, or maybe you'll at East, you'll go to the seashore. Um, some, think about something beautiful that you love to look at, that you love to stare at, that you love to enjoy. What gives you joy about that thing? What does that thing give you? And the, the answer is all it gives you is itself, is its beauty. See, joy and beauty, it's the same thing. The only thing that can always give you joy is something you find beautiful, not for what it gives you, but for what it is in itself. You and I have to find that thing that is beautiful in and of itself. So let's try to do that. Why is the woman in pain? What does it say? Because her time has come. That's what the text says that we read. In the Greek, it literally says, because her hour has come. The phrase is used multiple times in the book of John in chapter 7, 8, 12, and 13. And even in chapter 2, remember when Jesus brought the wine to the party to bring joy to the party? Mary says they have no more wine. And Jesus turns to her and says, woman, it is not my hour. Same verbiage. What is the hour 
in the Gospel of John. You find out at the end of John, towards the end, it it was the sixth hour, and darkness took over, and Jesus cried out, this is on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the hour. Remember, this was the day before, um, for somebody who was giving birth, this was the day before epidurals, before anesthetics. Every time a woman gave birth, she was in incredible agony and on the verge of losing her own life. And Jesus is using this imagery. He is saying, I went into labor, but my labor pains I endured were my hour, my hour of suffering. The forsakenness I experienced as I cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the pain of his labor. What was the reason for it? And what was the reason that Jesus went to the cross at his hour, at his death? The author of Hebrews actually gets at this when he talks about Jesus going to the cross to do this great work of salvation for us. But the author of Hebrews adds this most amazing context, incredible context. Speaking of Jesus, the author says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus come? Why did he give up his life for you, for me, for all the ways in which we've pursued counterfeit joys, for all the ways we've made life about ourselves instead of him, for all the ways we fractured our relationship, caused hostility between us and God. Why did Jesus come? And the author of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. The joy set before the mother is what? What is the joy set before the mother that allows her to endure pain and suffering of childbirth? The joy set before the mother is the child. The mother knows that the joy is coming, that the child is coming, so she endures. Friends, what was the joy set before Jesus that gave him the energy and the strength to endure the cross? That joy was you. That joy was seeing you united with your heavenly Father, freely forgiven, reconciled to the Father. Meditate on this until it fills your soul with delight. You are the joy set before Jesus. Listen, I'll end with this. Next week, I'm out of town. I'm going to Marietta, Georgia. We're taking the kids to Grandma's house. To Grandma's house we go. And, uh, and I'm going to see some little nieces there. There's a little infant, little baby niece I get to see, and I've held her before. And I do... Every time I hold this little baby, it takes me back 12, 14 years ago when I had two little babies, my little boys. They're 12 and 14 now, but when they were were infants, I I remember going into the the nursery late at night. They're crying and my wife, letting my wife sleep for a little bit and just rocking the baby. And if you've done, um, parents, you've done this before. I don't know what that experience is like for you, but you're just, you're staring at this baby. And what I would do, I don't really know the words to the nursery rhymes, so I just, I just make up words, right? And I, I but I know that I know the the tune, so I'm, I'm singing over the baby. Um, and I have vivid memories of 
just maybe for a whole hour just staring at this child and having the thought, (laughs) mine? This is amazing. And I would sing over the child, delight over the child. You know when your life changes forever? When you realize that's not even close to how much joy God has as he sings over you. And guess what? He does sing over you. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord takes delight in you and he will rejoice over you with singing. Let that sink in. To the degree that it does, real joy comes into your life. And you have a deep, internal, permanent rest that no circumstance can shake. Let me pray for us. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week. Thank you.